Father, we are we are here this morning only because of Christ, our Redeemer. Help us to glory in our Redeemer. Help us to know Him, Him crucified and risen. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's interesting this morning, Psalm, as Pastor Tyler was encouraging us, admonishing us, it was it was right along with what I was thinking about this morning, this week, uh, to talk about before we get to the text for the day. And it's somewhat of a confession, I suppose, and I've talked to many of you about this before. It is a confession and it's a concern and I don't know um, exactly how to speak that. Um, I'm very thankful for all that God does in and through this church and how He's grown us and changed us through the years. And, and yet one of my concerns is that it seems that we might be as a, a church family failing to spur one another on to love and good works. Possibly we aren't exhorting one another as we used to or have, and even ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the durst the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just having gone through in chapter 11, the, you know, the, 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 the saints that by faith lived certain ways, and because of that, because that we have this great promise, we are to lay aside every weight and sin that so clings so closely to us. Looking to Christ. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. The assumption that we're struggling against sin. Our own sin and the sin that's done against us, that we're struggling against that. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, to, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. So we will be being disciplined for our sins. We will be being as Pastor Tyler was saying, there's, there's a judgment, not, not, not wrath, but we will be ding, being disciplined. And, and if we're not being chastened, if we're not being chastised, then we're illegitimate children. We aren't, we aren't Christians. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respect, we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. He disciplines us that we would share His holiness. That we would actually be holy, growing in holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
And one of the ways that chastening comes is through the brethren. It's one of the ways God chastens us. Then he says this, Therefore, let your drooping hands, lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The writer of Hebrews in today's Christian world, church world, would be called a legalist, I'm guessing, by many. He's saying strive for holiness. Strive. He's commanding that we dioko, run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. To pursue, to press on toward. We are to run swiftly toward holiness. Toward hagiasmas. Consecration. Sanctification of the heart. And life. Perfection. We are to be running swiftly towards perfection. Pursuing it. This is true. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So we are to run swiftly toward holiness. What are you running swiftly to? What am I running swiftly to? Are we running swiftly to holiness? Or are we running swiftly to entertainment? Or to money? Or to food? Or to pleasure. What is our heart's desire? What is your heart's desire? We are to be striving for holiness. The confession in that, what I'm thinking about in that is, in my own life... It's not as if I don't care about holiness. It's not, in my own life, there is some sense in which I'm pursuing that. But I'm convicted that I don't pursue it how I used to. And I'm convicted that we don't pursue it how we used to. I'm, I'm concerned about that. Right here in, in this very passage, he then immediately goes on to say this, see to it that no one... F- fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one amongst you fails to see the grace of God. Make sure that they are pursuing holiness because without it they will not see God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Make sure that no root of bitterness strive for peace. With everyone, make sure that no root of bitterness is coming up amongst yourselves. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
we are to pursue holiness. We do not pursue holiness in order to be right with God. We do not pursue holiness to be saved. We do not even pursue holiness to see the Lord. We pursue holiness because we are saved and we will see the Lord. So then we will pursue holiness because we are saved and we will see the Lord. Charles Spurgeon. You will not gain holiness by standing still. Nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Charles Spurgeon said no one ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy, striving for holiness. Sin will grow without sowing. But holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. Follow holiness. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance as a hunter pursues his prey. Before we were saved, we chased after sin. After salvation, sin chases after us. If you occasionally get drunk, or if you now and then let fall an oath, or if in your business you you would make twice two into five or three, according to your prophet happens to run, do not talk about being a Christian. Christ has nothing to do with you. At least no more to do with you than he had to do with Judas Iscariot. You are very much in the same position. If without holiness then much more without morality can no man expect to see the face of God with acceptance. God smote an angel down from heaven for sin. And will he let man in with sin in his right hand? God would sooner extinguish heaven than see sin despoil it. It is enough for him to bear with your hypocrisies on earth. Shall he have them flung in his own face in heaven? Christ will be master of the heart, and sin must be mortified. If your life is unholy, your heart is unchanged. You are an unsaved person. If the Savior has not sanctified you, renewed you, given you a hatred of sin and a love of holiness, the grace which does not make a man better than others is a worthless counterfeit. If you're no different than anyone else, If what you pursue is no different than the people around you, then that grace that we claim is a worthless counterfeit. Christ saves his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. He doesn't save us to keep us in our sins. He saves us to take us out of our sins. Remember the the penalty of amen? And the power of Amen. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart. A command, not a suggestion, Spurgeon writes, from iniquity. If not saved from sin, how can we hope to be counted among his people? Lord, save me now from all evil and enable me to honor my Savior. 
we all know. It is an alien righteousness that has us to be right with God. Amen? And that alien righteousness is Christ alone. And the perfections are only in Christ and of Christ. They're His. But, and, all that we need to live perfectly holy lives has been given us. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the example of Christ has all been given us. We have everything we need to live perfectly holy lives. And because we won't, we have our perfect, the perfect sacrifice, Christ, risen at the right hand of God now. However, we will pursue holiness or we will not see God. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. Run swiftly toward holiness. Pursue it. Press on toward it. Perfection. Consecration. Sanctification of the heart and of life. Amen? Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Last week we saw that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to to preach and to heal, to cast out demons, to, to have some miracles that would support the message of repentance and salvation. And what's happening with that is you go from having one man, Jesus, doing these things in Galilee, creating quite a stir and lots of a following and lots of attention and lots of crowds and talk, to then you have 12 more men going out and doing the same thing, just creating more of a stir throughout Galilee. And and we've seen the authorities, the Pharisees, are already plotting how to get rid of Jesus. Uh, so the religious people are already taking notice and, and not liking the message that's preached and the and the, the risk it is to their authority as religious leaders. Now we're going to see uh, the government, the governmental entities or entity taking notice and being alerted to this, this man's following and, and how there's other men now doing the same and creating even more of a following. Uh, the title of the sermon is Herod Wonders, Who Is This Man? Please stand and... I will read Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. You may be seated. Father God, I pray that your spirit would move. It would work in my my heart and my mouth as I speak and preach. And it would work in the hearts and minds of your people. For our sanctification, for your glory in Christ's sake. 
Amen. Who is this man? Referring to Jesus is is the most important question for every human being to answer. To consider. And I think everyone in this room ought to be Maybe you've answered this, and maybe you know the answer, and maybe you don't, but be thinking about who is this man? Who is who is Jesus? I know Jesus has been doing ministry like we talked about for about 18 months now, and he's, he's created a huge following in Galilee. Remember, he's from Galilee. That's where uh, Nazareth is. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's getting, he's getting such a large gathering now that it's difficult for him to even go from one place to the next. Remember last week he was going to he was or two weeks ago he was going to heal Jairus's daughter and there was such a crowd that they were pressing in on him and and and, and he could, it, it reminds me of you ever seen a after a sporting event where the fans rush the field and the players are caught out in the middle of the fans and they're they're trying to get through and get out and they just can't even hardly move uh, if you see a, a movie star walking in a in a group where there's no bodyguards and they're just surrounded and they can hardly move, well, that's what Jesus had going on. He had such a following; he could hardly go from one place to the next that he wasn't being crowded in upon. And so, so there's this hot this this thing happening, and then and now we saw last week twelve men are sent out to do the very same thing, to preach this message that was upsetting Judaism. And, and, to, and to, at the same time showing miraculous powers of healing and casting out demons. This was a big deal. So we see in verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, all these things that were going on with diseases being healed, demons being cast out, dead people being raised, pigs going into the water, all these things that he, he's hearing about happening. And, and he was perplexed. He was he was confused he was what's going on he was perplexed and now you might be wondering who is Herod the Tetrarch I'm glad you asked Herod the Tetrarch the word tetrarchs a Greek word it just means tetrarch or the governor of one-fourth of a region remember it we looked at a little bit at this we're going to look a little more in depth at it today at the beginning of or Luke chapter 3 we saw this, this uh, recounting at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So the emperor was Tiberius Caesar. That was the emperor of Rome at the time. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea at this time. So at the time of John the Baptist, time of Jesus' earthly ministry, Tiberius Caesar was the was the Caesar in Rome, and, and Pontius Pilate was the prefect or governor over Judea. And Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee. So in Galilee, Herod, who we're going to be looking at today, he was the governor, if you will, or the, the head of, uh, of the government in Galilee. And his brother Philip was the tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trichonitis. Now, um, so on the northeast side of Galilee was another region which Philip was given. So Herod's sons, when well, we'll get there in a minute, but Herod the tetrarch was the governor in 
Galilee. Philip was the governor in uh, northeast of there, in this area called Iturea and Trachytus. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Abilene would have been up even farther north during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So the priests, the high priest at that time was Annas and Caiaphas. Remember, Caiaphas was the high priest, and then Annas, his son-in-law, was was there. So he's setting the scene of what what was happening at that time and who was in authorities where. So this was the political and religious landscape. So this entire this entire area of Israel and a little north of Israel, what we know as Israel or Palestine, had been ruled by uh, by Herod the Great. You see all these Herods in, in Scripture. Herod the Great. The Herod we see in Matthew chapter 2. The Herod that tried to have, well, had all the firstborn males killed. That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was, he was the son of a, 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 a high-ranking Hasmonean uh, uh, leader. So the Hasmonean kingdom was pretty much all of what Israel is up to Galilee and down a little bit below Judea into Idumea. So it was it was this big area that's kind of Israel and then over to the to the east side of the Sea of Galilee and uh, the Jordan River. That whole area was was under Hasmonean control. And Rome was trying to take that land from the Hasmoneans. The Hasmoneans were in control there. Now, now, Herod was the son of a Hasmonean elite. And Rome employed Herod to militarily take over what we know of as Israel in that area. And they called him king. So it was a three-year war that the Hasmonean dynasty... So, so Herod was Hasmonean, yet he was on the side of the Romans, hired by the Romans, fought a war, took over that area for Rome. Herod the Great was then the king of that entire region. When Herod the Great died, then he had sons. That this, this area was then split up and given to the sons. Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, is the one in Galilee. Philip was up in the northeast, and then down in down in what Judea is was Archelaus, another of his sons, and he only lasted a few years. And then Rome got tired of what was going on in Judea, and they took him out and they put in prefects, four different prefects or governors, the final one of which was Pontius Pilate in the days of Jesus. So that's just how it was governed. The different regions were governed by different people, all out of Herod until Rome started to replace them. Because Herod was the one who took over the territory for Rome. So he was the king. He was the king of the Jews, was Herod. Remember this whole king of the Jews thing, the whole sign that Pontius Pilate put over Jesus' head. Because Herod was king of the Jews, and now all this, and Pilate was now the governor, and he's asking, are you now king of the Jews like Herod was? So that's, that's then there's other Herods that you see in Scripture, that you see probably in your handout. You have Herod the Great that we see in Matthew. That was the original Herod. Herod Antipas, that's the one we're looking at here, called Herod the Tetrarch. He was one that ruled over Galilee. Then you have Herod Agrippa. That was the grandson of Herod the Great. 
And he was, he was, he came in in AD 41 through 44 in Judea, actually a little more than that. And then, and then we see him in, in Acts 12. And then in Acts 26, we see Herod Agrippa II, which is the son of Herod Agrippa I, who then ruled over that big old area, almost like, like the Hasmonean dynasty was, back to a big, larger group. So that's the people you see called Herod. Now, Herod Antipas, the one that's in Galilee. Now remember, Herod, the original Herod, was not Jewish. He was Idumean. He wasn't even a Jew. And then Herod the Great appointed his, uh, his relatives to the priesthood. So no longer was it an Aaronic priesthood, a Levitical priesthood. It was started to go outside of that to people who weren't even Levites. This was the whole destruction of, of, Jewish, of, the, of the Jewish way of life, Israeli way of life. Herod the Great was, was the centerpiece of that change over. So he wasn't Jewish. He was Idumean. So Herod Antipas and Philip, they, they, they weren't Jewish. They, they followed some of the Jewish things, but they were the head of the, they were the king of the Jews and yet not religious in the same way the Jews were. Okay, so we'll come back to some of this later. The other thing about Herod Antipas, the one we're looking at, all of them, but this one, he was a, he was a really evil man. We're going to see a story about him that shows some of his evilness, but he was a, a very wicked, debauched man. Very cruel. So, Herod the Tetrarch, he was king over Galilee and Perea, another area just southeast of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he was the king over. And he's, so he's the Jewish governing authority. He is the boss man of Galilee in the way that Pontius Pilate is the boss man of Judea. And Jesus would be like somebody traveling through the state of Iowa making this big uproar. You know, Kim Reynolds is going to be bothered by that. So, so this, 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 this guy is doing all these things in Galilee, causing this big following, creating a stir amongst the Jewish people, of which he wasn't. He was a kind of a quasi-Jew, but upsetting the Jewish religious elite who were really Jewish, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, disrupting this whole system. Hearing of all this following this guy had, all of the miracles he was doing, and it was... It was a threat to his power. So when Herod heard about all of this uproar and all this huge following, and now there was 12 more out there doing the same thing, he was perplexed. What is going on? What's happening? Back to the text. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised... From the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. But so, so when Herod Antipas asked, "What's going on? The, the what's going on? Who is this self-proclaimed Messiah? This man claiming to be God's anointed? This man going around Galilee, causing this stir, stirring up religious elite, bothering or threatening my my authority? Who is this?" 
Some said it was John who had been raised from the dead. Who's John? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, not the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, not him, the the John the Baptist, the John that we looked at earlier in the book of Luke. Luke 3, 3. And he went into all region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the John, John the Baptist, who who was was coming, preaching repentance. Coming, preaching the kingdom of heaven was not being Jewish. That, that all the land was going to be uprooted. Hearts were going to be uprooted. Religion was 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 false. The crooked need to become straight. This was this guy, John the Baptist, who earlier, proclaiming Jesus, had quite a following, didn't he? Had created a large following of people that were coming after him also. That were following him, listening to this new message, upsetting the Pharisees. He was preaching this message of repentance and the coming Messiah. This this. He was preaching, remember, John the Baptist, the one who would rescue Israel. Well, that'd be trouble for Rome, and therefore it would be trouble for Galilee, and therefore it would be trouble for Herod Antipas. So, when they come to him now, as Jesus is going out, by this time, John the Baptist has been imprisoned and beheaded. So, Herod said, verse 9, John, I beheaded. What do you mean it's John the Baptist? I beheaded him. So he's perplexed because he knew he had beheaded John. Mark 6 is the parallel passage to this passage in Luke. We'll be there for a little bit. So Mark 6, verse 14. King Herod heard of it. This is the same Herod Antipas we're seeing in Luke 6 and the same time. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. You're telling me a dead man has come to life. Because here, verse 17, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This is the kind of family the Herodian dynasty was. Remember Philip, the other brother who had a different territory given to him? When Herod the Great died, Herod Antipas came to this area of Galilee, up in the northeast, this area of Iturea, that, that, was, that was Philip. King Philip was there. Well, this is the Philip. So Philip was a half-brother of Herod, Antipas. So they were brothers. Same father, different mothers. Herod the Great was their father. So they're brothers. His brother, Philip's wife, because he had married her. So Herod, Antipas, married his brother's wife. 
took his brother's wife and married her. Which, by the way, would have also been his niece. Which, by the way, would have been Philip's niece. So Philip marries his niece, and then Herod, Antipas, marries his niece and his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist said, no, you're a sinner. Herodias, you're a sinner. Herod, you're a sinner. And it says he had been saying to Herod. That means he repeatedly. So the picture is John the Baptist is out preaching about Herod. But when he's in front of Herod, he keeps telling him, you're a sinner. You cannot take your brother's wife. So think about this. This, this Herodias, the granddaughter of Herod, marries her uncle Philip. They have a daughter. We'll come in the picture in a minute. Salome. Then Herod takes away his brother's wife to become his wife, marrying his niece slash sister-in-law out from under his brother. So, verse 19 of Mark 6. And Herodias, the wife, had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. She was mad. John is calling her out for her sin, exposing Herod's sin to the people. This is King Herod. It's, he, is, he is undermining his authority by calling him a sinner to his face. And that makes Herodias mad. She wants to put him to death, but she could not. She had no authority to put him to death. And Herod, for Herod, feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. Remember, John had a huge following in Galilee. You take one of the most popular men in Galilee and you put him to death, you could have problems. So he kept him safe. So he had him in prison, but he wouldn't let him be harmed. When he, Herod, heard him, John the Baptist, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly. Like He was confused by the things that John the Baptist would teach, but he was, he was engaged. He was listening. He was rejecting what he was hearing, but he was listening. So Herodias wants John the Baptist dead because John the Baptist is calling them out for their sin. But Herod knew not to do that. So next we see this in verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, so Governor Herod, Herod Antipas, has a birthday celebration. And at this birthday celebration, he gives a big old party for all his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. All the who's who of Galilee come to Herod's big birthday party. They're all there. All the men are there. It's like a big old bachelor party. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. At this big party now, you've got Herod. He has a stepdaughter, who's also his great niece, who he brings in to dance for him, provocatively, in front of all these men of Galilee. And it pleased him. He liked what he saw. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish. 
and I will give it to you. He was so pleased by this provocative dancing, he said, whatever you want, I'll give you. And she went out and said to her mother, so, oh, he said, for whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So, Salome goes to mom, Herodias, to get advice on what to ask for. She went out to her mother, for what should I ask? And Herodias said, the head of John the Baptist. She wanted John the Baptist dead because he exposed their sinfulness of Herod Antipas taking his brother's wife, his niece, and she was ashamed and she wanted him dead. And she, Salome, came in immediately with haste to the king, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath. So King Herod didn't really want to do it, but because he had promised to Salome to give her anything up to half the kingdom in front of all of his muckety-mucks, he didn't want to go back on his word. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and gave it, the girl gave it to her mother. So John, Herod Antipas, this Herod right here, had John the Baptist beheaded and the head was brought and given to Salome who then gave it to Herodias. And now somebody's telling him it's John the Baptist is back. He's perplexed. There's no way this is John the Baptist. Chopped his head off. Saw his head on a platter. The man's dead. So he knew it wasn't John the Baptist. But, like John the Baptist, he also knew it was causing him a lot of problems. Whoever this man is. Whoever this man is, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's causing a lot of problems. And the people thought it was John the Baptist because it was very similar in the way it was creating Turmoil and change in Israel, in Galilee. Verse 8, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets older risen. So the other, the other testimonies that he was receiving was, hey, this is Elijah. Jesus is, is Elijah. Or he's one of the prophets of old that's risen from the dead. Now this too would have been very problematic for Herod Antipas. Because... What was going to happen when Elijah came back? Elijah returns, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Malachi 4, 5. Remember Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament, telling us what's coming. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So, if this was Elijah, which could have been Elijah, we all know John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, but the Jews were looking for Elijah to return, and when he returned, judgment was coming with him. Just like the judgment Elijah had when he went to King Ahab and said there's going to be a famine because of your sin in 1 Kings 17. Or another prophet. What did the Jews think about the old prophets like Jeremiah? What did Jeremiah preach? He preached judgment. The prophets preached judgment on Israel and or any of their, any of their oppressors. So Herod Antipas 
kind of a puppet king under Roman rule who's not really Jewish knows that if this is Elijah or one of the prophets, really, this is problematic because they're going to come and wage war and they're going to take over or try to take over Galilee and then all of Rome. And I've got to end that problem. This is a, this is a, this is a risk to Herod Antipas' position as the puppet king in Galilee. Whether it was Elijah or prophets of old, like John the Baptist, if it was any of those people, this, this, this person that's doing all this stuff, that's going to be problematic. That's going to be judgment on Israel or it's going to be judgment on Herod because he knows he's not treating the, the, the Jewish people rightly. It's going to be judgment on Rome. He needed to shut down this uprising. So now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this man? I know it's not John the Baptist. I don't think it's Elijah. I don't know who it is, but who is he? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth that's causing all these problems in my territory, in Galilee? And he sought to see him. Herod seeks Jesus. I know we probably aren't thinking this way, but don't think he's seeking him for noble reasons. He's not seeking Jesus in the sense he wants to seek the Messiah. That he has any, any sense of wanting to believe on his, because he's heard this crazy message, this crazy message of the kingdom of God, of not one's own righteousness, not being Jewish, but of repentance and forgiveness of sins. He's heard this message, and he's rejected it. He rejected it when it came from John the Baptist, this message of repentance, this baptism of repentance. Had him beheaded. He had him beheaded because he didn't want to be called on his sin, nor did his wife. So he wasn't interested to see if this was God as he claimed he was God. Or interested in... Now, he also kind of wanted to see some of the miracles, as we'll, as we'll see later. So to keep his position in, in the Roman system, he... he wanted to see this Jesus. He could not have, he couldn't afford to have this self-proclaimed Messiah, this, this man from Nazareth threatening his kingdom or Roman rule. He wanted to see him, that he might end the threat, like he had ended the threat with John the Baptist by putting him in prison and then ultimately beheading him. If we look at Luke which we'll get to again later, but we see something about Herod again. As Jesus is preparing to go to Jerusalem, he's winding up his time in, in Galilee, starting to travel down towards, through Samaria and down. Luke 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees, now remember that's the religious elite or representatives of the religious elite, said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod Antipas who had not seen Jesus, remember? He was seeking to see him in order that he might kill him. 
He wanted to kill Jesus. That was Herod's desire for seeing Jesus. Who is this man? I don't care, but I want him dead. I don't, I don't, I don't want his message. I don't want forgiveness of sins. I want him dead because he's upsetting my world. Which is exactly why people reject Jesus now, isn't it? He would upset their world. They want no part of him. So at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go and tell that fox. That's not an attractive woman. That is a pejorative statement. You go and tell that worm, that fox, that weasel. You go and tell that no good man. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. You tell him... Herod, who wants me, Jesus, dead, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm not going to die anywhere else but Calvary. You tell him he's not going to see me yet. I have business to take care of. But make no mistake, Herod wanted him dead. Herod wanted the, the threat squelched. Herod wanted his position left alone. He wanted to keep his little puppet kingdom where he can have big parties and do whatever he wants and have Roman protection, keep that relationship that his grandfather had developed by by getting this territory in the first place, his father. So, now eventually, Herod did get to see Jesus. During the Passion Week, the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, remember after the mock trial with Caiaphas and Anais, Annas. Luke 23, 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. So remember, he had gone to Caiaphas and Annas and they sent him on to Pilate. Pilate talked to him and he said, wait, is he a Galilean? If he's a Galilean, whose authority is he under? Herod Antipas. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. He was in Jerusalem. Why? It was Passover. Everybody was in Jerusalem at Passover. So Herod was there. And now he was going to get to see Jesus. He'd wanted to see him for a long time. He wanted to squelch this threat. So he finally got to see him. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Don't think he was glad because he saw the king, the Lord, God himself. He was glad because he gets to get his hand on this this man who's now arrested that's been threatening his very way of life. He was glad and he long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. And he also wanted to see a little bit of a circus show. He wanted to see some of the miracles. Maybe get something for himself. Maybe he had a skin disease or something he wanted to heal. Who knows? He wanted to see a sign. He wanted to see Jesus, not because he thought he was, his gospel was true, not because John the Baptist heralded the Messiah and he was saying, yes, I want to see this Jesus that I might be saved. No, I want to see him because I want this squelch. Now, I might want to see a miracle or two in the meantime. So he, Herod, 
questioned him, Jesus, at some length. But Jesus made no answer. Finally, he gets his hands on Jesus. Finally, he gets to ask him these things about his claims and what he's doing. He asks him lots of questions and Jesus says nothing to him. Kind of like, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, you rejected this message when you chopped off John the Baptist's head. The message that he brought, you've rejected. You want me dead. You don't want to worship me. You're not interested in the gospel. You're interested in some miracles. Not talking to you. Kind of like we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Dust was kind of washed off his feet. It was too late for Herod Antipas. He had rejected. You know, you might think, well, surely Jesus gave him the gospel. No, he said nothing to him. He said nothing to him. It was a form of judgment, his silence. Chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. So Herod's there. Remember, they're not one and the same. Herod is the governor of Galilee, and the Pharisees and the scribes are the religious representatives. And they're giving him the business about his spiritual message, the message of the gospel. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. They put on the garments of king. They mocked him. They made fun of him. Herod led this making fun of Jesus. And, 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 and he finally got a hold of him. And now he's going to mock him. He had no interest in humbling himself before Jesus. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. Before this, they had been an enmity with each other. Remember, you have Pontius Pilate, who's ruling over Judea, who's a Roman. He was a Roman prefect put in place of Herod's, he was the fourth one, but of Archelaus, Herod's other son who was in charge of Judea. You've got this other guy, Herod, the brother that's still ruling. He reigned for a long time up in Galilee. These two were at odds with one another because... Pilate knows this guy is nothing. He's just a weasel. But then they became friends that day. You see, you see when, when Herod has been asking, who is this man? Who is this man? They say, John the Baptist. No, I took care of him. But I want to see this guy. I want him dead. And he finally gets to see him. And he was just as unrepentant when he was when John the Baptist was in front of him. He wanted to see a few miracles and Jesus ignored him. Didn't say a word to him. That's what it's going to look like for anybody who wants to stand before Christ at judgment and ask a bunch of questions. It'll be too late. It'll be too late. You want some proof then? You aren't going to get it. You'll have the proof right in front of your eyes as you stand in judgment. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this man? 
Who is this whom who is this about whom I hear such things? I hear about these claims of being God. I hear about these claims of forgiveness of sins. I hear these claims about a, a message of repentance and faith. I hear these claims about raising people from the dead and healing diseases and casting out demons. Who is this man? And he sought to see him. Show me a miracle or two, Jesus, then maybe I'll believe. Jesus didn't perform. Anybody in here says, okay, God, I'll believe in Jesus if you show me a sign. And he's silent. Because he's shown things all around you, in creation, in the people that are around you, in the salvation of sinners that turn to saints. Closing thought, Herod wanted to find out who this man was who was disrupting Galilee, the region he governed over. And he wanted to stop the uprising in his midst. He wanted to know who this man was who was preaching the kingdom of God, healing diseases, casting out demons, and even raising people from the dead, creating this huge following that threatened his position in the Roman Empire. When he finally met this man, he was condemned by Jesus' silence. It was too late for him. His judgment was sure. Most important question that every human being and how they answer this question determines their eternal destiny. Heaven or hell? Who is this God-man? You might say, well, some people never get asked the question. That's why we do missions work. They've already rejected the God they know of creation and of the conscience they've been given. They've already rejected Him by the suppression of the truth and their unrighteousness. But the name of Jesus must be spoken to them. So how, how beautiful are the feet that take the gospel message? But for anybody in here, you've heard this message over and over again. When you ask yourself, if you ask yourself, who is this Jesus? We know, beloved, He is the Son of God. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord and our Savior. That's who Jesus is, yes? He is our King. He is our God. He says jump, we say how high. That's who He is. He saved us. He owns us. He loves us. We love Him. That's who He is. He is God incarnate. He lived life without sin. Never once sinning. He went to the cross and took on the wrath of man and the wrath of God. Took on the wrath of God to pay for our sins. Having never committed one, paying for our sins That if we would believe on Him, that when we believe on Him, our sins are forgiven. And we are now safe in Him. He rose from the dead and He sits at the right hand of God. That's who Jesus is. Amen? Unbelievers. Who is this Jesus? He is every 
everything the Bible says He is. He is your only hope. He is your only way of right standing with your Creator. He is your only path out of destruction and damnation into glory and perfection. That's who He is. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Him. Believe into Him and be forgiven of your sins. Or else when you stand before Him, He will not answer you. He will only judge you. It is a a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Can you imagine, can you imagine Herod as all of this continues to unfold with the crucifixion and the resurrection, all that he knew and all how he, how he was and how he rejected standing before God, seeing Jesus and probably again wanting some answers. You'll have no answers except depart from me. I never knew you. Or welcome into my kingdom, good and faithful servant. That's who he is. Ask yourself the question, who is this God-man? Who is this one I'm hearing all these things about? Believe and be saved. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this example of Herod and his, his wickedness and his debauchery and his rejection of the message of repentance, his desire to keep himself protected and his position protected, his desire to kill Jesus. Father, thank you that for your people our desire to have Jesus crucified is gone. We don't desire to sin or live in our sin. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sin for the unbelievers. Help them to see that it is their desire that Christ be crucified. Is their desire that he go away? Help them to know, Father, they will stand before him and he will judge to glory or to damnation. Thank you, Father, for your kindness, your goodness found in and through Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 189, Depth of Mercy. 180.